Amen. Let us bow our heads for prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being such a wonderful, merciful Savior. We thank you for Jesus, who is truly our blessed Redeemer and friend. You are the Lamb that has come to take away the sin of the world and bring us peace. And Lord, we recognize our need of Jesus tonight. We long for that peace and that rest that only He can offer. And so, Lord, we come expecting and asking that You'd surround this place and that You'd fill our hearts with Your peace, that as we study Your Word, that every earthly anxiety, worry, and fear would be removed, and that You would give us the perfect peace of Jesus. Bless us now as we open Your Word. We ask that You'd speak to our hearts. Help us to get excited about the great things you've revealed to us to be ready for the last days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Our message this evening is entitled, Superpowers of Prophecy. History tells the story of ancient empires whose military might and political power has shaped the destiny of our world. But we're going to discover that these empires were written on the pages of prophecy, thank you, long before they were written on the pages of history, testifying to the reality that God knows the future and God tells the truth and that we can trust Him with our future tonight. And so we're going to look at more evidence of why we can believe in the message of the Bible. We learned on previous nights that we are all in the midst of a supernatural warfare between good and evil, a cosmic conflict, a great controversy. And it's a spiritual war that is being fought in our world, but even fought in the battlefield of our own minds. And as students of Bible prophecy, we must understand the nature of the two principles that are contending for supremacy so that we might make a good, intelligent decision to be on the winning side. And I want us to notice how this conflict is described in the book of Revelation chapter 12. And so if you take your Bible and open to Revelation the 12th chapter, where we find a description of this battle, this great controversy between good and evil. Revelation, what chapter are we going to? Revelation 12. Notice what it says beginning with verse 17. That's the last book of the Bible, page 1227, if you're using our seminar Bible. Page 1,227. Notice with me, the climax of the conflict between good and evil is described in this passage. Revelation 12, verse 17. And if you're there, and if you're ready to study the Bible tonight, would you please say amen? amen. The Bible says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here in prophetic language, the John the Revelator sees a dragon filled with wrath and rage against a woman and seeking to make war with this woman. Well, what does this mean? Who is this dragon specifically? Well, if you jump down to verse 9, it tells us that the dragon is none other than Satan. Verse 9 of Revelation 12 says, And the great dragon was cast out. 
that old serpent called the devil and who? Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So we find that this dragon is none other than Satan, the, the devil, the enemy of God and man. And we find that he, this dragon, is filled with rage against a specific woman and is seeking to war against the woman. Now, the next question is, who exactly is this woman? Well, we don't have to guess, friends, because the Bible is its own interpreter. And I want us to notice the consistent symbol God uses to describe his church is a woman. Uh, the woman represents the people of God or the church. And you can write down these scriptures on the screen. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So we see that the husband-wife relationship is an object lesson. It's a symbol of the relationship that God wants to have with us. He is our heavenly husband, and we are his earthly bride. You can also write down 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, where the Apostle Paul, talking to the New Testament Christian church, tells them that they are the chaste virgin of Christ, the beloved bride of Christ. You can also write down Jeremiah 6 and verse 2. And there are many other passages that make it clear that in prophecy, God likens his church to that of a woman. So when you read about the dragon attacking a woman, it's a symbol of how Satan is making war against the people of God, the church of Christ. And if that's clear, would you please say amen? Now listen, friends, this war described in Revelation 12, 17 is actually expounded upon as you follow the context into the very next chapter, chapter 13. Because in Revelation, the 13th chapter, it actually tells us who the dragon Satan will use to try to destroy the church or the people of God. Because Revelation 13 describes the Antichrist beast kingdom. And this is the kingdom that Satan is going to empower to try to destroy you and me, the church, the beloved bride of Christ. Let's read it now. Revelation 13, beginning with verse 1. Here is the, the explanation or the details of the war the dragon is seeking to make upon the woman. Revelation 13, 1 says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. The beast which I saw was like unto a what kind of animal? A leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, and the who? The dragon gave him, that is gave to this beast, his power and his seat and great authority. So notice carefully with me in this passage. It describes the Antichrist beast power rising up out of the sea. It has seven heads and ten horns. It's like a leopard. It, lo it looks like a, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. And the dragon, which we know is who again? Satan is the one that gives this beast his power, seat, and great authority. Well, what does this mean? We don't have to guess because the Bible interprets itself. We learned before that in prophecy, we're, we're not dealing with a literal animal, for a beast in prophecy represents a king and its kingdom. Do you remember that? 
And if you weren't here last night, the verses that make that clear is Daniel 7, verses 17 and verse 23. We're going to read those in just a moment. So we're talking about a kingdom, a kingdom on earth that Satan empowers to try to persecute and destroy the woman, which is the beloved bride of Christ. And don't forget, friends, the dragon is the one that's behind the beast. In other words, this is a kingdom that is not of God. In fact, notice in verse 2, it says, the dragon gave him the beast, his power, seat, and great authority. And then you read in verse 4, you can notice it in the Bible, it's also on the screen. It says, and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power to who? Unto the beast. So again, the, the dragon, Satan, empowers the beast, this kingdom. And then it says, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? And who is able to make what? War with him. So notice carefully, friends, the dragon is making war with the woman, but he makes war with the woman through who? The Antichrist beast, this earthly kingdom. Notice another one in verse 7. And it was given unto him, that's the beast, to make war with the who? Saints. That's the woman, friends. The church of God, the people of God, the saints. To make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And so we find that this Antichrist beast power is the, is the one that Satan uses to try to destroy the people of God. But friends, it's interesting that this Antichrist beast not only makes war against God's people horizontally, but it will even try to make war with God vertically as well. In verse 6, it tells us, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against who? Against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell where? In heaven. So we find that this earthly kingdom makes war horizontally and vertically. Horizontally against the, the woman, the church, the people of God, the saints, but also making war with God vertically through his blasphemy and his false teachings. Who is this bold and blasphemous beast? Well, friends, I want you to notice some of his characteristics that we just read. It's a composite beast. It's a beast that has the characteristics of other beasts or animals or kingdoms. And notice it carefully. I, I encourage you to write these down. It said that it had the mouth of a lion, the feet of a bear, the body of a leopard. It had ten horns, and it speaks blasphemy and makes war with the saints. It's a composite beast or a composite kingdom. In other words, it's a kingdom that has the same characteristics of other kingdoms that the Bible had described. It's a super beast, we can say. Now, what do these strange symbols mean? Well, in order for us to find out, we first have to go back to the Old Testament to get the foundational context. Because Daniel the prophet saw the same animals, the same beasts, in prophetic vision as well. And so the only way we can find out who exactly is this end-time super beast that will try to make war against God's people in the last days, before we can find out who the Antichrist of the last day is, we first must find out what the other beasts are that set its foundational characteristics. So now we go to the book of Daniel chapter 7. And so turn there with me. Remember we said that Revelation is built upon the strong, solid foundation of the Old Testament. 
The only way you can accurately understand the prophecies of Revelation is if you go back to the uh, foundational context. And that's what we're going to be doing in this presentation. We're going to spend our time dissecting Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8. And as we understand this first, then later on, on future nights, we'll discover the identity of the beast in the Revelation, the 13th, the 13th chapter. And so notice with me, we're going to Daniel chapter 7. That's page 887. If you're using our seminar Bible, Daniel chapter 7, page 887. And when you get there, would you please let me know by saying amen. Daniel 7, beginning with verse 2, the prophet Daniel sees a vision of four beasts rising to power. Notice what it says. In fact, let's start with, with, with verse 1. Daniel 7, verse 1, and we're going to remain here for the rest of our time in this presentation. It says, in the, in the first year Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Verse 2, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse or different one from another. So here Daniel is testifying. He says that in this dream that he received, he saw a windy seascape. The wind, the four winds was blowing upon the great sea, and from this windy seascape, he sees four beasts rise up out of the sea. Now, what does this mean? Once again, friends, God has not left it for us to guess speculate or surmise the bible interprets itself and i want you to write down very quickly these prophetic keys of interpretation what does the sea the wind and the beast represent well friends in prophecy the sea represents a populated area of people it represents multitudes of, of nations and kindreds and tongues and you can find that in revelation 17 and verse 15 Revelation 17, 15 tells us that the sea or the waters represents a populated area of people. Now, the wind that is blowing upon the sea, in the Bible, the wind is a symbol of war, strife, conflict, and desolation. And you can find that in the book of Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 27. So the wind blowing upon the sea is a symbol representing multitudes of people that are fighting and striving against one another. Desolation and, de and destruction takes place, and, and out of the multitudes that are fighting, four beasts rise. Now what is the beast? It represents a kingdom. You can write down Daniel 7, verse 17 and verse 23, where it makes that clear. In fact, since we're right there, let's go ahead and read it, shall we? Daniel 7, notice verse 17. It says... These great beasts which are four are four what? Kings which shall arise out of the earth. Jumping down to verse 23, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth what? Kingdom upon the earth. And so friends, it's, it's amazing. When you let the Bible interpret itself, it's not hard to understand what God is seeking to communicate. And so Daniel sees four beasts rise to power. Now, what God is doing here in this passage is He is repeating and enlarging upon a vision He had already given to Daniel as well as the Babylonian king. You see, friends, God is the greatest teacher. Can you say amen? And one of the greatest methods of teaching in order to help your students understand and remember is you repeat or you review 
that which you've already taught them, and then you enlarge upon it by giving additional details. It's like laying a foundation and building upon that foundation over and over again. That's the greatest method of teaching. You're constantly reviewing or repeating, and then you're enlarging or giving more details. And that's what we're going to be doing all throughout this seminar in the next three weeks. But God does this over and over again in prophecy. And we're going to see that tonight's prophecy in Daniel 7 is simply God repeating and enlarging upon the vision that he already gave Daniel in the second chapter, the vision of the metal man. Do you remember that vision? We studied it last night. And we learned that this metal man was made of four different metals. And each metal represented a different what? A different what? A different kingdom. The head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of brass, and the legs of iron, then the feet of iron and clay representing the divided kingdoms of Europe. And we're going to see that these four beasts are parallel to the four metals on the image of Daniel chapter 2, representing the same kingdoms, the kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then divided Rome or divided Europe. And these are the superpowers of prophecy that set the foundational characteristics for the final composite antichrist beast that we read about in Revelation chapter 13. But before we get there, Let's first go quickly through these four beasts of prophecy to see what it means. Let's discuss the first one now, excuse me, Daniel 7, and now notice with me in verse 4. Daniel 7, verse 4, he describes each one of these beasts. It says, And the first was like a, what kind of animal? A lion, and it had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand, excuse me, and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Here we find Daniel sees a lion with eagle's wings. And then the wings were plucked, and then it began to stand upon its feet as a man. Now this lion with eagle's wings is the parallel to the head of gold on the image of Daniel chapter 2, representing the ancient kingdom of Babylon. In fact, this is the symbol God uses to describe the Babylonian kingdom. I want you to write down these scriptures for the evidence. Please notice Jeremiah 50, verses 43 and 44. The Bible says clearly that the king of Babylon shall come up like a what? Like a lion. The lion represented the Babylonian kingdom. Now, what do the wings represent on the back of this line? Well, friends, in prophecy, wings are a symbol of, of speed and conquest and, and just the spirit of wanting to destroy and conquer everything. And you can find that in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Please write it down. Look it up later. Wings in the Bible, in prophecy, is a symbol of speed and the spirit of conquest. It's a fit description of the spirit of conquest that, the, that, that, that Nebuchadnezzar had in wanting to conquer all the different kingdoms of the then-known world in order to be the superpower of that age. And so it's a lion with eagle's wings, a kingdom that has the spirit of speed and conquest. Now notice another verse. In Jeremiah 50, verse 17, it says, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. Who's the lion, though? This Nebuchadnezzar, king of what? <coughs> Babylon hath broken his bones. So God likens his nation, his people, Israel, to that of a sheep. 
And it says that the lions have driven the sheep away. It's, it's a description of how Babylon, under the rulership of Nebuchadnezzar, came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroying the temple and taking many of God's people captive in Babylonian captivity. We, 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 we read over and over again in the Bible that story in the book of Jeremiah and even in the book of Daniel and, and, and Isaiah and whatnot and how Babylon the lion came to devour the sheep. Now, friends, I want you to notice, it's interesting. I got the chance to visit Germany a few years ago. We did some meetings there. We, we preached in a church in the city of Berlin. And Berlin is a wonderful city, a lot of history there. And there's a, an amazing museum there in Berlin called the Pergamum Museum. Any of you ever been to Germany or Berlin specifically? If you ever get the chance, go to, go to Berlin and go to the Pergamum Museum because in that museum, there were some German archaeologists that excavated some of the ancient ruins of the walls of Babylon. And they brought those walls and the Ishtar Gate of Babylon, and they have it displayed there in the Pergamum Museum there in Germany. And I got to see with my own eyes, on the walls of Babylon are pictures of lions with eagle's wings. It's amazing, friends. That was the description of the Babylonian kingdom. You can also see it in the British Museum. They have a part of the wall there as well. Lion with eagle's wings represents the kingdom of Babylon. Now, what is one of the chief characteristics of the lion kingdom? Well, friends, if you look at the characteristic of Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel 4 verse 30, it was one that displayed arrogance and pride. Notice what the king of Babylon said. Daniel 4, verse 30. The king spoke and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? You see, the king of Babylon was filled with pride and arrogance. And the Antichrist beast in Revelation 13 is described with having the mouth of a lion. Why? Because this end-time kingdom would display the same arrogance and pride and riches just like the lion kingdom of Babylon. The composite beast would display the pride and the riches of Babylon. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? Now, history tells us, or the prophecy tells us, that this lion, its wings were plucked from it. Now, what does that mean? simply means that the spirit of speed and conquest that it once had was stripped from it as it was conquered by another beast or another kingdom. History tells us that the kingdom of Babylon ruled from 605 to 539 BC. In 539, its wings were plucked as another beast would come into power. Now a second one. Let's read it now in verse 5, Daniel 7, verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second like to a what? A bear. It raised up itself on one side. It had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it, and they said thus to it, Our eyes, and devour much flesh. This second beast that is like a bear raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth is parallel to the chest and arms of silver on the image of Daniel chapter 2. It represents the next kingdom that would follow Babylon, which is none other than the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, friends, the Medes and Persians at first were two different kingdoms, but they united together in order to conquer Babylon. 
And these two kingdoms, the Medes and Persians, are symbolized with the bear raised up on one side showing an imbalance of power. Because of the two kingdoms, the Medes and Persians, the Persians were stronger than the Medes. We find that symbolized the bear raised on one side. It also says that this bear had three ribs in its mouth. Now, what do those ribs represent? It represents the kingdoms that they had to conquer and devour in order to be the sole superpower of the day. You see, the Medes and Persians not only had to conquer Babylon, but they also had to conquer Lydia in the north and Egypt in the south in order to gain control over the entire then-known world. And that's symbolized by the three ribs in the mouth of the bear. Now, what is the chief characteristic or one of the chief characteristics of the Mede, Medo-Persian Empire? Well, friends, if you study, you'll notice that during the days of Queen Esther, it was the Persian Empire that was ruling the world. And there was an individual by the name of Haman that influenced the king of the Medo-Persian Empire to pass a law that would annihilate and persecute the people of God. You can find that in the book of Esther, chapter 3 and verse 13. And so under the influence of Haman, the king of Persia passed a law to destroy the people of God, and the law that was passed could not be changed. It could not be revoked. And that's one of the chief characteristics of the bear kingdom, passing persecuting laws that couldn't be changed. Now, the Antichrist composite beast in Revelation 13 has the feet of a bear because it will demonstrate the same characteristic. It will actually persecute laws that would seek to persecute the people of God, the woman, the bride, the church. Laws that would not be changed or revoked. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? Now I want you to notice, history tells us that the bear kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire, ruled the world as the superpower from 539 to 331 B.C. After that, another kingdom, likened unto a leopard, would follow. Let's read it now in verse 6. Daniel 7, verse 6. And after this I behold, and lo, another, like a, what kind of animal? A what kind of animal? A leopard, which had upon the back of it how many wings? Four wings of a fowl. The beast also had how many heads? Four heads, and dominion was given to it. Here we find this leopard with four heads and four wings. It's parallel to the belly and thighs of brass on the image of Daniel chapter 2, representing the empire that would conquer Persia and be the sole superpower. It's none other than the Grecian Empire under the rulership of Alexander the Great. And friends, this leopard, unlike Babylon, it has four wings. Babylon had two, the leopard has four. And, and by the way, the leopard is already a fast animal. So when you put four wings on a fast animal, you have super speed and super conquest, which was a fit description of the rapidity of the conquest of Alexander the Great. In 12 short years, he conquered every single army and every single kingdom in the world. And that's what the four wings are, are depicting. Now, what about the four heads on the image? Well, friends, you remember we discussed it last night. That Alexander the Great, though he could conquer the whole world, he couldn't conquer his own bad habits. Just two years after conquering the whole world, he died in a drunken stupor 
his greatest enemy was himself. He couldn't conquer himself. And when he died, he did not appoint an heir for his throne. And there was no one military leader that was charismatic enough to fill his shoes. And his infant son was too young to, to rule. And so what happened was this. The Grecian Empire, the leopard kingdom, was divided into four. How many? The different generals of Alexander the Great's armies took the different territories of the Grecian Empire. And these generals, Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus, are symbolized by the four heads on the leopard, representing the four generals of Alexander the Great's army, which is what happened to the Grecian Empire. It was divided into four. Now, friends, this is amazing how prophecy predicted what would happen to the kingdoms. And history confirms that that is exactly what took place. Again, friends, more evidence that we can trust the message of the Bible. Can you say amen? It's not of human devising. It is of divine origin, and prophecy is the proof in the pudding. Now, I want you to notice, what was one of the chief characteristics of the leopard beast, the, the Grecian empire? Well, friends, it was the Greeks. They were the ones that, were, that, that, that popularized the pagan philosophies of the ancient world. Under the great philosophers like Aristotle and Plato and amongst others, Alexander the Great, they spread Greek culture and Greek philosophy throughout the whole world. And friends, the Antichrist beast in Revelation 13, the composite beast, has the body of a leopard because it would demonstrate that same characteristic. It would teach pagan philosophies throughout the whole world teachings that are of pagan origin and claiming for it to be from God himself. And we'll see that more clearly on a later night. History tells us that the leopard kingdom, Greece, ruled from 331 to 168 B.C. And then after that, there was a fourth beast that rose upon the scene. Now, this one was a dreadful and a terrible beast. Daniel uh, could not describe it with an animal that he knew. He simply said it was dreadful. It was terrible. It was like a dragon. Let's read it now. Daniel 7, verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. It had great, what kind of teeth? Iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. It was diverse or different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had how many horns? Ten horns, And so this fourth beast that has iron teeth that is dreadful and terrible and crushed all that, it, that tried to oppose it, this terrible beast is parallel with the long legs of iron on the image of Daniel chapter 2, representing the kingdom that would follow the Grecian Empire, which we know is none other than the iron monarchy of Rome. Rome was a dreadful and terrible beast. In fact, if you were to uh, study the history of the pagan Roman Empire, they were masters of cruelty. Ma they were the ones that perfected the art of the crucifixion. It was Rome that was ruling the world when our Lord Jesus came into this world. He died by the Roman crucifixion. And that's the reason why I believe that Daniel described this beast as dreadful and terrible. They were masters of cruelty. They're the ones that, that, that mastered the art of crucifixion by which our Lord Jesus Christ died from. It destroyed all of its opposition. 
And friends, another chief characteristic of Rome, besides the fact that they were cruel, was that the Caesars were known for commanding people to worship them as God, commanding emperor worship. And friends, the Antichrist beast in Revelation 13 has ten horns just like this terrible beast because they would demonstrate the same characteristic. They would command the emperor worship of Rome, worshiping the man at the head of this kingdom. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? History tells us that the, this terrible beast, the Roman Empire, ruled from 168 B.C. to 476 A.D. It ruled the longest of the four. Now, after Daniel sees these four beasts, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, he then sees ten horns arising out of that fourth beast. Now, these ten horns that Daniel sees coming up out of the fourth beast are parallel to the ten toes on the image of Daniel chapter 2. Remember, friends, after Rome, there was not a fifth superpower that came upon the scene, but rather Rome itself was divided into ten different kingdoms. Ten horns, ten toes. Notice what it represents. In Daniel 7, 24, it says, And the ten horns out of this kingdom, out of which kingdom is this kingdom? Out of which kingdom? Out of Rome. The ten horns arising out of this kingdom or arising out of Rome are ten kings that shall arise. And history confirms that that's exactly what took place, friends. Barbarian tribes came from the north and began to conquer different territories of the, of the vast Roman Empire. Rome was not conquered by one sole superpower, but it was divided into ten different kingdoms. And they are as follows on the screen. The Alamanni, who are the modern Germans. The Burgundians, who are the Swiss. The Franks, who are the French. The Lombards, who are the Italians. The Anglo-Saxons, who are the English. The Suevi, who are the Portuguese. The Visigoths, who are the Spanish. And then you have the Heruli, Vandals, and Ostrogoths. Nations that existed amongst the original ten, but are extinct today. They no longer exist. We're going to find out why on a later night. But it's interesting, friends. Fascinating. Ten horns coming up out of the Roman Empire. Ten toes in the image of, of, the, of the metal man. Ten kingdoms that would conquer the territories of Rome. And friends, these ten kingdoms, or Europe, I should say, would remain divided all the way from 476 A.D. all the way to the very end of time. Because as we learned last night, the Bible tells us that they shall not cleave one to another. And those, in other words, Europe would remain divided all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, friends, if that makes, if that makes sense, if that's clear so far, would you please say amen? amen? And so we've gone through the four beasts, now the ten horns. Now I want you to notice what Daniel sees next in the sequence of the prophecy. Daniel, after he saw the ten horns, he then described the Antichrist kingdom that would rise to power. It's the same power in Revelation 13, but God uses a different symbol to describe it. Because remember, what God does in prophecy, He repeats and enlarges. He's talking about the same kingdoms, but using different symbols to represent them because He's given us a different angle to look upon it. He is basically giving more information. He is enlarging upon the vision. And so notice what happens in verse 8. 
Daniel describes the little horn antichrist power. And it says, I consider the horns, and behold, there came up where? Oh, help me out tonight, friends. There came up where? Among them, another what kind of horn? Little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. So we find that from this fourth beast, which represents what kingdom again? Rome. And among the ten horns, which represents what again? Divided Rome or divided Europe. Daniel then sees a little horn, a little kingdom rising to power. And friends, as we're going to discover right now, this little horn demonstrates the same blasphemous, persecuting power just like the composite beast in Revelation 13. And why is that? Because it's the same power. God uses different symbols representing the same Antichrist kingdom. It is a kingdom on earth that would seek to take the place of God as the judge over the earth. He not only is going to make war with, with the saints horizontally, the people of God, but he's, this kingdom will also seek to make war against God vertically. It is the enemy of God and man, the great opposer of Christ, the one that sits in the place of God on earth. Now I want you to notice, it says in verse 25, and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them. So notice, this is sequential. After the ten horns, the little horn, the Antichrist, rises. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. So it's, again, it's the blasphemous, persecuting Antichrist kingdom. Now the next question is this. How long would this blasphemous kingdom reign and pass false judgment on God's people in the earth? How long will this, will this evil kingdom conquer the people of God? Well, the very next thing in the vision answers that question. Notice what Daniel sees next after the description of the little horn. We go to the very next verse, Daniel 7. Now notice with me verse 9. It says, verse 8 is describing the little horn antichrist. Verse 9, Daniel sees something different. Notice what it says. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne, his what everyone? Was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the what was set? The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Notice, friends, something very interesting. At first, the vision is horizontal, talking about earthly kingdoms fighting against each other. Isn't that right? We have horizontal. Notice, watch me. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Rome, Antichrist kingdom. And then all of a sudden after that, the vision turns vertical where Daniel sees the Ancient of Days, God himself sitting upon the throne in heaven. And at the throne, Daniel sees judgment taking place in heaven. 
Interesting. It starts horizontal, but then it goes vertical. And here's the reason why, friends. I can imagine Daniel was discouraged when he read and saw about this little horn speaking blasphemy against God, passing false judgment against the saints, the people of God. And I'm sure Daniel was wondering, how long would this little horned rascal continue to, to, to be this, this, this opposing judge? And God encourages him by showing him a glimpse of the true judge sitting upon the throne in heaven. Can you say amen? Here's the point, friends. Here's the point. I want you to get the sequence. That's the main goal of this presentation. On future nights, we're going to discuss what it all means specifically. But first, we must get the foundation of the sequence of the kingdoms. And here it is. The great judgment follows the reign of the Antichrist. Let's nail this down very strongly as we read these verses. In Daniel 7, 21 and 22, it says, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. What is this word right here? Until denotes a time reference. Isn't that right? And it, it, it denotes a sequence of time. So the little horn is doing all of these things until what happens? The Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. So notice again, little horn reigns. Immediately after that, judgment takes place in heaven. It continues on verses 25 through 27. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, but the judgment shall sit, and they that shall, excuse me, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And then it says, Then the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Once again, the point is this, that judgment follows the reign of the little horn. Why? For two reasons. Why does judgment follow? The purpose of judgment, number one, is to vindicate the saints, the people of God, those who have been falsely judged by the Antichrist kingdom. So God, the true judge, sets up his judgment in heaven to vindicate his saints that have been persecuted, to pass judgment in favor of his people. And the second purpose of the judgment is basically to judge that little horn kingdom, to put that kingdom in its proper place. And so that's the reason why we see judgment taking place in heaven. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? Now let's review before we move on. We're repeating and enlarging. Notice the sequence of the kingdoms. Which was the first kingdom we discussed tonight? Babylon. After Babylon is Medo-Persia. Then there is Greece. Then Rome. Then the ten horns, which is divided Rome. And then after Rome is divided, you then see the Little horn antichrist kingdom, and immediately after that is the throne judgment in heaven, God's judgment throne. I want you to memorize the, the sequence. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Rome, antichrist kingdom, then God's judgment throne in heaven. Now, friends, if this is clear so far, would you please let me hear you say amen again? Amen. Now, we move on to the next chapter. And what we're going to find is that God is consistent. As we go to Daniel chapter 8, 
God again, as the greatest teacher, repeats and enlarges on that which he has already revealed in Daniel 7. The same way Daniel 7 repeats and enlarges on Daniel chapter 2, so too Daniel chapter 8 repeats and enlarges on Daniel chapter 7. God gives to Daniel another vision talking about the same sequence of the kingdoms, but he uses different symbols because he's given us more details and showing us how we can look at it from a different angle. So now notice with me, we're in Daniel chapter 8. And in this chapter, Daniel sees two beasts. He sees a ram with two horns that's standing firm. And then he sees a he-goat with one notable great horn that is rushing towards the ram. Let's read it, Daniel 8 and verse 3. You can look in your Bible. It's also on the screen. It says, I lifted up mine eyes and saw and behold, there stood, what was the position of this beast? It was standing. It wasn't moving. It was, it's already established by the time uh, during this vision. It stood before a river, a ram, which had how many horns? <clears throat> Two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher came up last. Then notice what happens next. In verse 20, it actually tells us what that ram represents. Verse, thir- verse 20, it says, The ram which thou sawest having the two horns are the kings of who? Media and Persia. And so carefully, notice carefully, the ram represents the Medo-Persian kingdom. It has two horns. Why? Because remember, Medes and Persians were two separate kingdoms that united together in order to conquer Babylon. One horn was higher than the other. The higher came up last. Why? Because of the Medes and the Persians, the Persians were stronger than the Medes. If that's clear, please say amen. Now notice the next beast Daniel saw. In verse 5 now, And as I was considering, behold, An he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. So Daniel then sees a goat that was moving so fast, it was like it was flying, it wasn't touching the ground, and it had a notable horn between his eyes. What does this goat represent? Verse 21 tells us, And the rough goat is the king of who? Grecia. And the great horn, The what kind of horn? Great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. And what was the first king of the Grecian Empire? Alexander the Great. It's called a great horn. He's known as Alexander the Great. And so this hego is flying. It's not even touching the ground. It's just like the leopard. Super fast, four wings, not touching the ground. And it's heading towards the ram, representing Greece, seeking to conquer the Medes and Persians. Now let's read what happens. Verses 6 and 7 in the same chapter. It says, And he, that's the goat, came unto the ram that had the two horns, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram. And he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. Then notice, And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. 
but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. What does that represent, friends? It rep it's a description of how Greece came and destroyed the Persian Empire. Notice, here's the interpretation. Verse 8, it says, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, that's the Grecian Empire, and when he was strong, when he was what? Strong, the great horn was what? Broken. And for it came up how many? Four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. What are the four winds? That's north, south, east, and west. And so notice what the Bible is saying. It's describing how the he-goat would destroy the ram and break its two horns, representing Greece, destroying the Medes and Persians. And then after that, it says that that horn, that great horn, which is Alexander the Great, at the height of his strength, when he is strong, he's going to be broken. Just two years after conquering the whole world, he was broken by his own bad habits. He died in a drunken stupor. Remember that? Alexander the Great dies at the height and pinnacle of his strength. There was no army that was opposing him. He simply died in a drunken stupor. And when he died, what happens? Four notable horns rose up in its place. What does that represent? The four generals of Alexander's army that began to rule the different territories of Greece, north, south, east, and west. In Daniel 7, it's symbolized by four heads on the leopard. In Daniel 8, it's symbolized by four horns taking the place of the great horn of the he-goat. Notice verse 22 is the interpretation. It says, Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. Four kingdoms. That's the, the four territories of Greece. Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. They rose up it to take the place of Alexander the Great, but not in his power because they didn't have one kingdom that were ruling. And so that's the four generals of, of the army of Alexander the Great. If that makes sense, would you please say amen? Now, friends, if that's fascinating to you, let me hear you say amen. Friends, we can trust the Word of God. The Bible tells us what, what would happen with the kingdoms, and history confirms it happened just as the Bible tells us. Now, what should come next? in the sequence of the kingdoms. God, once again, is repeating and enlarging, right? So what should we see next in the vision of Daniel 8? We're at Greece and divided Greece. What is the kingdom that follows Greece? It's none other than the Roman Empire. And that's what we're going to see right now next after the description of the, of the he-goat. We're going to see the Roman Empire. But it's a little bit different because God is now giving additional details. He is enlarging upon the vision. Notice the description of Rome, verse 9 of Daniel 8. <clears throat> it says, And out of one of them, that's the four horns, divided Greece, out of one of them came forth a what? Little horn, which waxed exceeding great towards, notice the directions he's waxing great, towards the what? the south and towards the east and towards the pleasant land. The pleasant land represents Jerusalem, the, the city of God. So notice this little horn, which is Rome, at first, it's horizontal. 
It's fighting the territories that's surrounding it. It's not fighting against God first. It's fighting towards the south and the east and towards the pleasant land. You remember it was the Roman Empire that came and, and put God's people in bondage once again. During the time of Christ, Rome was ruling the world, entering into the pleasant land, taking uh, um, possession of Judea and Palestine and, and those areas. And so the little horn represents Rome in its first stage, which is a horizontal stage, pagan stage, uh, a stage where it's fighting horizontally. But then this same little horn begins to turn from being horizontal, it begins to turn vertical to fight against God Himself. Notice the next verse, verses 10 through 12. It says, And it waxed great even to the host of where? Of heaven. So notice, friends, it's now fighting against God. And it cast down some of the host of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, He magnified Himself even to the what? Prince of the host, that's Jesus, the Messiah. It would fight against Christ himself. And then in verses 24 through 25 is the interpretation. It says, His power shall be mighty. He shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy, he shall cause craft, that's deceit, to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall he destroy many. And he shall also stand up against the who? The prince of the princes. So there is the Antichrist phase of the little horn. At first, it's simply Rome in the horizontal phase, destroying the surrounding territories. But that same kingdom turns vertical and begins to attack God himself through his blasphemy, and through his deceitful teachings. It turns vertical. That's the little horn, the Antichrist kingdom. Now, as Daniel was seeing this in vision, he had to have been asking himself, how long will this continue to take place? How long will this little horn fight against my prince? How long will they continue to, to fight and destroy the people of God and, and prosper in the land? How long? And I'm thankful that God knew exactly what Daniel was thinking because the very next verse, he asked the question that Daniel was thinking. Verse 13, it says, Then I heard a holy one speaking, How long? will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, uh, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. Friends, who was the one that was committing the transgression of desolation and, and trampling upon the sanctuary and, and the people of God? It was that little horn power, friends. It was the Antichrist kingdom. So basically, Daniel is wondering, how long will this kingdom continue to reign? Now, friends, listen, according to the sequential context we already established, what is the very next thing Daniel should see? What happens after the Antichrist? What is the next thing, friends? Judgment throne in heaven. Isn't that right? And that is exactly what happens next. After the reign of the Antichrist, the very next kingdom, the very next thing we should see is God's judgment at His throne. And so notice what happens next. The question is asked, how long will this continue to happen? 
Here's the answer in the very next verse. Daniel 8, now notice verse 14. And he said unto me, it's asking, answering the question, how long? He said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. That is the answer to the question, how long shall the little horn continue to prosper? God answers it by giving a time prophecy, a prophecy that spans 2,300 days, pointing to the cleansing of the sanctuary. If you look this up in the original language, it also means the restoring of the sanctuary. Now, friends, something needs to be restored because it's been what? You'll need to restore something that has been broken, right? Or excuse me, you'll need to restore something that's been destroyed. The little horn, the Antichrist kingdom, sought to destroy the truth of God and the message of the sanctuary. But God says, don't worry, I'm going to restore it. This expression, the cleansing of the sanctuary, is talking about the same thing when the Bible describes the judgment taking place in heaven. I want you to notice this chart so that you can visualize what I'm trying to explain from God's Word tonight. We're talking about the superpowers of prophecy, different kingdoms that would reign from Daniel's time in Babylon all the way to God's judgment. It represents, it's symbolized by different symbols in the different chapters of Daniel. So you have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Rome, Antichrist, then the judgment. In Daniel chapter 2, it's symbolized by gold, silver, brass, iron, then the ten toes, divided Rome. You go to Daniel 7, God repeats and enlarges, giving more details. He uses the lion to depict Babylon, the bear to depict Medo-Persia, the leopard to depict Greece, the terrible beast to depict Rome, the ten horns divided Rome, the little horn representing the Antichrist, then the throne judgment in heaven. Then Daniel chapter 8, we find that there is no symbol God uses to depict the Babylonian kingdom. Why? Because by the time this vision is given, the kingdom of Babylon is almost finished and passing off the scene. And God is not interested so much in the things that are past, but in the things that are future. Can you say amen? And so the vision of 8, Daniel 8, begins with the Medes and Persians, symbolized by the ram with two horns. After that, there's the he-goat with one notable horn, representing Greece, under the rulership of Alexander the Great. After that, the... One horn is broken, four horns take its place, the four generals of Alexander, Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Then after that, Daniel sees the little horn power, but in two different phases. A horizontal phase, which represents Rome, destroying all the kingdoms that it surrounded, was surrounded by. But then that same power turns vertical to fight against God himself, that's the Antichrist kingdom. And then after that, the question is asked, how long? And the answer is, after 2,300 days, the sanctuary shall be cleansed, which shows us something very important, friends, that the cleansing of the sanctuary and the throne judgment in heaven are connected somehow. Do you see that, yes or no? God is repeating and enlarging. The sanctuary is connected with the judgment that takes place in heaven. Now, the next logical question is this. What does the sanctuary have to do with judgment? Well, friends, tell me. 
where does judgment take place? According to what we read here, where, where was Daniel seeing the judgment take place? In heaven, but specifically where? At the throne of God, right? God the Father, the Ancient of Days, sits on the throne presiding as the judge. So judgment takes place at God's throne. But where is God's throne? It's in the sanctuary. And that's why sanctuary and judgment are connected. Notice Jeremiah 17, verse 12. It says, A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. The sanctuary. The throne is in the sanctuary. Judgment takes place at the throne. And that's the reason why God said that the sanctuary is going to be cleansed or restored where the true judge will sit upon the throne. It is at the throne that judgment is given in favor of the saints, the people of God. In fact, that's the reason why in Psalms 20, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob do what? Defend you. Friends, that word to defend, that's a judgment expression. We need a defense, friends. We need an, an, an attorney, a lawyer, someone to defend us against the attacks and the accusations of that little horn antichrist kingdom. But where is the help going to come? It says, may he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Why help from the sanctuary? Because that's where the throne of God is. That's where the judge sits upon the throne and passes judgment in favor of the saints and against the little horn antichrist kingdom. And that's why the message of the sanctuary and the message of judgment is a good news message. God is going to send us help in the day of trouble from the sanctuary. And friends, remember, the word sanctuary literally means a place of refuge a place of rest, of safety and security and satisfaction in this crazy world that we live in. How many of you are thankful that you have a sanctuary in Christ? Amen? Amen. That's where our help comes from, friends. That's what this prophecy is pointing out so beautifully to us tonight. Now, friends, I want you to notice. How does the sanctuary help us from the troubling Antichrist kingdom? I want you to notice now in the book of Psalms, a prayer was prayed that expresses confusion as to why evil prospers, why wickedness seems to prevail. Notice the language of the psalmist's prayer. In Psalms 73, verse 2 to 7, notice what it says. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pangs in their death but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. And so the psalmist in this passage is baffled by the fact that the wicked, those who serve, that don't serve God, are prospering. And sometimes we can feel the same way when we look at Hollywood. We look at the glitter and glamour of the stars, these who are, who are blaspheming God and not living for God, and yet they have everything that, 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 that they could ever wish for. And we're baffled, Lord, how is it 
that those who are serving Satan and those who are serving themselves seem to be so happy and so prosperous. How could this be? And friends, I can imagine Daniel had the exact same question when he saw how this little horn was prospering, how evil seemed to be triumphing over righteousness. How could this be? And that's what the psalmist was wondering. How could the wicked prosper? But notice what helped him understand the conclusion. In the same chapter, jumping down to verse 16 through 19, it says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I couldn't wrap my mind around the fact that the wicked were prospering. It was too painful for me. I couldn't understand it until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Can you say amen? That's the reason why immediately after the prosperity of the little horn power, God shows Daniel the sanctuary in heaven because it's the sanctuary that helps us to understand the end of the wicked. It tells us, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation. As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. Yes, my friends, the stars of Hollywood, the stars of the world seem to be shining brightly today. The music stars and the sports stars and the, and the movie stars and whatnot. But friends, if they don't know Jesus, they're falling stars. They're going to go out in darkness, friends. And it's the sanctuary that helps us to understand their end. And that's the reason why, friends, I don't want to follow a falling star. I want to follow the bright and morning star, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we find an amazing prophecy here in Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8. A prophecy that helps us to see the sequence of the earthly superpowers, these kingdoms on earth, but how the true king will set up his throne in heaven and will reign from that place in the sanctuary where he gives help for us in our time of need. Now, friends, I want you to notice a few more things I want to bring out before we close. As the little horn sought to sit on God's throne and be judge and superpower over all the earth. The true judge sets up his throne in the sanctuary. And here's where the true king and kingdom will reign. Here he will execute his righteous judgments upon the little horn and provide a refuge of protection for his people. But friends, remind me, as we talked about last night, what is the central character in the sanctuary? The central character in the sanctuary is the lamb that had been slain. And that lamb represents Christ. Everything in the sanctuary revolved around not a lion, a bear, a leopard, or a ferocious beast, but rather a meek and lowly lamb. And so when we look into the sanctuary, the sanctuary teaches us about the power of the Lamb that overcomes evil. But He doesn't overcome evil by, 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 by weapons of mass destruction. You see, the Lamb is a very different, has a very different nature than that of a lion and a bear and a leopard. Why? Because Christ's kingdom, it has a different nature, friends. It's a kingdom that conquers not by force, but it conquers by love. A Lamb that was slain. And that's what Revelation depicts. Chapter 5 and verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the what? 
Where does God's judgment take place? At the throne in heaven. And where's that throne? In the sanctuary. And notice, it says, in the midst of the throne and in the midst of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Who is the king that sits upon the throne? It's a lamb that had been slain. He is a king of kindness, friends, a king of compassion. He conquers our hearts, not by forcing us or scaring us. He conquers us by demonstrating his love for us on Calvary's cross. On the throne of the universe is a different type of king than the earthly kingdoms of the world. It's a king of kindness, a lamb as it had been slain. And friends, he's conquered my heart by his love. And I hope he's conquered your heart as well tonight. Amen. You see, friends, his sacrifice was the death nail to the little horn's reign. And the Antichrist beast in the last days hates the lamb. He hates this king. And in these last days, the book of Revelation describes the beast's final attempt to dethrone the lamb. I want to read this and we'll close with this. Revelation 17, 12, it says, And the ten horns which ye saw are ten what? Kings which have received no kingdom. This word kingdom, is that in the plural or singular? In the singular, right? Ten kings receive no kingdom. Why? Because they shall not cleave one to another as iron is not mixed with clay. In other words, divided Europe... All the kingdoms of the world, they're not going to come together in a one-world order and a one-world superpower. It's not going to happen. Man will try to do it, but it's going to fail. But notice, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one what? So there is going to be a unity amongst the earthly kingdoms of the world, but it's not a one-world government. The unity is that they're going to have one mind. In other words, they're going to be on the same page. They're going to be on the same page in their goals, their ideology, and their agenda. All the beasts of the earth are going to seek to unite. And notice when they unite, it says that they shall give their power and strength unto the who? The beast, that's the Antichrist beast. That's the reason why the beast looks like a lion, a bear, a leopard, seven heads, ten horns. It has all the characteristics of all the kingdoms of the world because the kingdoms of the world will give their power to this Antichrist beast. And notice when they unite, what is the inevitable result of this ecumenical union? It says they're going to make war with the Lamb. So picture it in your mind, friends. All the earthly kingdoms of the world are going to fight against the King of kings and Lord of lords. They're going to fight against the Lamb kingdom. It seems like an unfair match, don't you think? I mean, how can a, a, a lamb stand up against a lion? How can a lamb stand up against a bear and a leopard? And then a beast that has all of those characteristics the outlook seems so bleak. Is there any hope? Is the lamb going to prevail against a lion, a bear, a leopard, a terrible-looking beast, and all the world uniting against him? It seems like the lamb has no chance, but I'm thankful that the rest of the verse says, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, 
and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Oh, my friends, I'm so thankful. <laughs> Revelation tells us that God's kingdom is going to win. The lamb, it may look meek and lowly, but this lamb has the power to slay dragons. It has the power to conquer lions and, and bears and lepers in this Antichrist kingdom. Jesus Christ the Lamb is going to prevail. And because he wins, we win too. All we have to do is be with him. And I just want to be with him. How about you? You see, that's what I like to call victory by association. You see, we don't stand a chance against the lion, bear, leopard, and terrible beast and the composite beast. We don't stand a chance or we're going to be devoured. But the lamb can, st can stand up against him. And because he wins, we win too. So all we have to do is associate with, we just got to be with him. And when we're with him, he calls us, he chooses us, and he makes us faithful. I want to be with the lamb. Now, notice what happens next. Revelation 3, us. Uh, 513. When the Lamb wins, we win. And then notice what happens. And every creature which, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such there is that, 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 as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, let's read this together, shall we? Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And then it says in chapter 11, verse 15, And the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever and ever. Friends, the final true superpower is the kingdom of the Lamb. That's the superpower of prophecy, friends. All the other ones don't really have any power, but the final superpower is going to reign, and I want to be a part of that kingdom. Amen? If so, let us pray. Let us pray that God would make us ready to be a part of that kingdom. Father, we thank you so much for this simple study, which is so profound at the same time. We've learned the sequence of the kingdoms and how you have predicted before it even took place what would happen. And Lord, we're so grateful that we see the evidence of prophecy given us confidence that your word can be trusted and that we can trust you with our lives. We thank you, dear God, that even though the whole world will seek to unite and fight against the Lamb, that you will prevail, that you will win the victory. And we pray, Lord, that you'd also win that victory in our lives. As the, as the beast seeks to conquer us, we pray that you will conquer us with your love. Bless us now as we eat together. Bless the food in the hands that have been uh, so busy in making it and the bodies that will enjoy it and prepare us for our next presentation at seven o'clock in jesus name we pray amen amen